Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Fully Vaccinated Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is professor and writer and political analyst Jared Yates Sexton. I love him. You love him. But before we get to the show, I do try to keep these intros short. I have a tier on Patreon, though, that allows listeners to listen ad-free and with a much shorter intro. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep the show going, and I'm so grateful. If you do enjoy today's show, take a look at the About page, check out some of my past guests. Most of the time, I talk to political people. Sometimes I talk to actors, because I used to be one. But just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. I do two free shows a week on Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by the What's Up show, which is just me alone talking about whatever I feel like, kind of like an online diary. I also do one patrons-only show with a guest once a month. Just check out the variety of tier options at patreon.com slash startmeup. You can make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I've included a link that makes it easy to donate through PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, Apple Podcast Store, become a subscriber, it's free. And while you're there, if you like the show, please rate it and leave a review. I would really appreciate it. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Jared Yates Sexton. Welcome back to the show, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, before we did this show, I did I, I do this thing for patrons only. It's called What's Up. And all I did was rant and freak out about everything. <laughs> like all the political stuff. Uh, everything right now is freaking me out. I'm not feeling at all comfortable. Now, let me just say that ever since Trump lost, I've been talking to guests. Obviously, you've been on the show a couple times since then. Um, but I've been talking to people and asking them to say, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I'd say for the most part, people are fairly optimistic, but I'm not. I'm not feeling optimistic. And I go through your Twitter feed and you are certainly not I, – I, like, I don't necessarily see emotion per se in your tweets, but I, de- I definitely um, – there's an alarming message that you have because it's a realistic message. And one of those things that I want to talk about is a thread that you tweeted. And like, here's a couple things that you said. The right has worked to destroy liberal democracy and restore hereditary hierarchy. The wealthy are obsessed with bypassing politics as an impediment to profit. In these pursuits, they've worked together. Right now, we're watching them put us in check. And this is not just limited to Republicans. Democrats and Republicans have enjoyed economic hyper-capitalistic consensus for decades because certain Democrats believed markets would lead to more freedom and dignity. We are watching the collapse of that philosophy. So I just want you to talk about that because I'm not scared enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you, when you start putting together the history of how we've arrived at this moment and the actual true nature of um, what we would call the liberal conservative spectrum mm-hmm. right um and and you know i'm working on this project right now um where i'm doing a reconsideration of so-called uh western civilization and what i've come to realize is that the difference between uh what we would call liberalism uh which has come to define the last uh, couple of centuries with like liberal democracy and what we would call conservatism is this uh, really long clash of ideologies that I, I think that we've come to misunderstand. Mm-hmm. Uh, because primarily because we live in America where we have a two-party system and uh, you know our politics has become 
a battle of spectacle, right? It's yeah. heroes and villains and messiahs and devils. And, uh, and, and in a way, we've really sort of unmoored ourselves from what actual politics are. And as a result, it feels not just confusing sometimes, but it also keeps us from understanding mm -hmm. exactly what's happening and how much danger we actually are in. Yeah. And to go ahead and, and lay the, the groundwork for what we're talking about, uh, it's really important to point out that conservatism, what, what we would call conservatism, isn't really necessarily about fiscal responsibility. <laughs> it's not about social responsibility or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, bullshit cudgels that the Republican <laughs> Party has thrown out for years. Mm -hmm. Those are those are political uh, gestures. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, they're useful for controlling people. Yeah, certainly. But that's not exactly what has been going on. Um, and if you actually take this back to its origins, conservatism was largely modern conservatism was a reaction to things like uh, the French Revolution and the American Revolution and this idea of abolishing monarchies and getting rid of, you know, people who were born into their wealth and mm -hmm. their power. And, you know, anybody listening between the lines right now understands that we're talking about patriarchal white supremacy. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about uh, a group of people who have been, quote unquote, chosen to be better than everyone else. Um, <laughs> these people are not interested in elections. Right. They're not interested in the, uh, the voice of the people or the will of the people. They think that the people are the great unwashed masses. Yeah. They think that the people are not worthy of choosing what should happen and where they should go, and particularly not people of color mm -hmm. and not women. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, is, this has strictly been a domination by, again, a white patriarchal supremacy. And so when you start seeing these revolutions happen, you see liberalism start to sweep in and, you know, everybody likes to think about liberalism as being this sort of uh, utilitarian, sort of like wide tent kind of a thing. And we look at things like all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just point out that was a bunch of white slaveholding men mm -hmm. who, you know, wrote that and believed in that. So when you actually look at liberalism or uh, liberal democracies, what you basically have is a different group of white, wealthy men who maybe weren't born into the right families or maybe they weren't part of the ruling aristocratic elite, but they wanted to be, right? Yeah. And so what you end up seeing is this clash between these two groups of people. And eventually, uh, with the rise of, like, global capitalism, and I'm talking around uh, the 1980s into the 1990s, yeah. you actually see with the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they agreed economically. They, they, they believe that money and, and wealth and power should be in the hands of the wealthy and the powerful. That mm -hmm. Those were the people who should be trusted with it. Mm -hmm. Their disagreements were on social considerations, right? It was, it was on, you know, who should be allowed to get married mm -hmm. or whether oh, or not right, a woman yeah. had a right over her body. And these are actual political issues. But when it came to the economic consensus, they were in agreement. Mm -hmm. And they were in agreement for different reasons. The, the conservatives or Republicans believed that it would go ahead and centralize power. And the Democrats, um, through some really wonky logic, Kimberly, they, <laughs> they believed that like by creating all these jobs and free markets and all of this, that it would raise people up out of the working class and basically the entirety of America would be in the middle class. Mm -hmm. Well, that didn't happen. Yeah. 
it, it did the exact opposite of that. And it was misplaced faith. And so what you have now, basically in America, is you have two parties that are having, well, I mean, we're in the middle of a hot culture war, right? Which are a lot of the social issues that we're talking about, a lot of these cudgels. But we also have the collapse of that economic consensus. Yeah. That, that doesn't work. It never worked. Yeah. It actually was a complete lie and an illusion. And so we are, weirdly enough, at this moment, it, we're at a crossroads is what we are, which is we either move beyond those that, that consensus, that idea of who should be in power and who should have the money, and we move towards democracy and actually embracing the will of the people, or, as history has shown us, conservatives and fascists and now neo-fascists will start to crack some skulls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's what's happening right now is that when when capitalism and particularly hypercapitalism are in trouble, the wealthy really start working alongside fascist and paramilitary groups because those are the ones who are out in the street fighting the battle against reformers. So we are we are right now undoubtedly in the middle of a massive crisis that I would make the argument that most people, even some major politicians, don't even have the beginnings of an understanding of what's going on. Great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, you know what I want to ask you about? I talked to Tim Wise earlier. I don't know if you're in a, if you're familiar with him, but he is an anti-racism uh, educator. And mm-hmm. so we were talking about, you know, I've mentioned on the show and in my writing so many times that as a young girl, I'm going to be 53. So I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up with the free to be, me, free to be you and me and Electric Company and Sesame Street and Rhoda and all these things that told me that America was moving in a much more progressive way. So in some ways we have, right? We have definitely i think our pop our our culture and then through our pop culture is very diverse and then we've got this exact opposite thing happening in our government where white supremacy is kind of taking over not i mean i i don't think white supremacy has taken over the nation per se but i do feel that in our politics it's it's definitely a huge threat and so I kind of want to know what you think about the idea that the country and and our pop culture, because our pop culture is so important, we all follow it and we're all very um, influenced by it, whether we even like to believe we are or not. But we've kind of, you know, for instance, I've seen all these commercials lately where you you have like interracial couples. This is becoming the new norm. And yet in our politics, they keep trying to set back you know it's like whether it's a race issue or it's an lbd lb i can't talk today <laughs> maybe not just today but you know what i mean uh for rights for gays and lesbians and everybody in the lgbt community um so it's like it's it's going in two different directions and i and i feel like uh it's not strong enough just to be in our culture like i think that because i did live in the soviet union and i watched how an entire nation was so afraid to speak up because they were afraid they would be sent to Siberia or jail or whatever, that it was just easier. And I mean, I see people right now either afraid to speak up or choosing not to speak up for whatever reason. And I feel like fascists could take over, autocrats could take over, and then there would be a not even very slow process of making everybody feel frightened to say anything. And then boom, we're done. I mean, am I wrong to think that? And what do you think about that 
idea. No, no, you're not. And in fact, um, even a study of recent American history shows us the capability for the oppression of dissent. I mean, we were both around in 2001 and we watched the aftermath of September 11th, mm -hmm. in which the country was plunged into uh, racist, jingoistic, um, you know, nationalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot happening in, in everything that you just said, because I think you hit it directly on the head, which is that America is more progressive mm -hmm. and diverse. And that is not a myth. And in fact, one of the things, um, you know, you're talking about these commercials, I think it's really important to point out that even corporate America, which does not actually have an ideology, mm -hmm. um, corporations don't have um, any beliefs outside of growing expansion mm -hmm. and profit. Mm -hmm. It's only a matter of what will get them there, mm -hmm. right? So when when all of these corporations are putting out, you know, statements that support like Black Lives Matter or, you know, people's ability to choose. And we see these commercials. What we're actually seeing is the the actual power structure within America recognizing that we are trending towards progressivism. Mm -hmm. They understand that they have to promote themselves as being progressive, even <laughs> yeah. if that's not their actual ideology. <laughs> right. Right. So they are betting on a progressive future. But here is the problem. And this is the issue. We have been fed in America a mythology, roughly through uh, pop culture, actually. And I think historians and politicians have also had a part in this, which is this idea that the arc of history just naturally bends towards justice. And if we just, you know, if we just keep believing in it and we keep going down that road, eventually we'll get there. Well, there's a problem in that faith, which is that it discounts the agency of the right to oppose that progress, mm -hmm. which is all that they do. Mm -hmm. And there is a belief, and you see it in TV shows and movies, and certainly you see it within the Democratic Party, that if someone makes the right speech, right, if they say the right mm -hmm. things and they appeal to the better angels of our nature and, you know, we win the election, mm -hmm. right? And it's always chopped up into two-year periods or four-year periods. If we win this election, if we win this election, mm -hmm. if, if you can just win those victories and you can say the right things and you have morality on your side, then eventually the Republicans will sort of tip their cap and say, well done. Mm -hmm. You know, we, <laughs> you, you've won. Mm -hmm. We'll now have to change. Mm -hmm. And what we actually see with the Republican Party at this moment is a party that can never do that. Yeah. It, it, it has reached its political terminal point. Mm -hmm. There is no ability for the Republican Party to change. The last uh, moment that they had was between 2012 and 2016, yeah. uh, you know, where they had the, uh, the infamous autopsy where mm -hmm. they said, we have to become less white. And we have to, you know, unclip ourselves from white supremacy and start building, mm -hmm. possibly even among, you know, immigrants. Mm -hmm. And they doubled down on the other, on yeah. the other side. And what we're seeing now, and this is the real problem, and people can laugh at it all they want. I know that social media uh, gives people that ability. But what's actually happening now with the big lie, the continued dominance of Trumpism within the Republican Party, all these audits and these uh, election bills that are going through these uh, GOP legislatures, and the conspiracy theories that, that motivate all of this, is that they have said, we have given up on winning elections. Mm -hmm. We're not interested 
in winning those elections anymore. You know, and if we lose an election, we can simply say that it was stolen from right. us. It was fake. And so when they, they, they went ahead and they decided they're not going to play by the rules because the, they are historically unpopular. It used to be, and I'm sure you remember this as well, if you ask somebody to describe the political body of the United States of America, it was always, oh, 45% Democratic, 45% Republican, 10% Independent, mm -hmm. right? And it was it was jostling, trying to find that 10% to come over to your side to <laughs> yeah. form a, a majority. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. The, the Republican Party is historically unpopular. Yeah. The only way that they are able to control politics anymore is through uh, the Electoral College, mm -hmm. which was created to give benefit to a white supremacist aristocratic minority. Uh, through the Senate, which, by the way, it was set up explicitly to do the exact same thing as the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. Through gerrymandering, which is actually a frontal attack on democracy as it is, while also using that culture that you were just talking about, mm -hmm. those commercials, the movies, the, the, the zeitgeist of American popular culture, which is on the side of progressivism, to then say to people in middle America, uh, people who've been screwed over by the free markets that we were just talking about, to say, hey, look, this is an attack on you, and yeah. they're coming for you. You're not going to be able to get a job. Pretty soon, the new world order is going to come to your door and take your guns and get rid of you and your family, and it's all over. You have to join us mm -hmm. in this frontal assault on democracy, or else the jig is up. Mm -hmm. And that alliance, keeping those people in a completely altered reality, a weaponized reality, yeah. Uh, all it does is give Republicans elections, but it also ensures that the wealthiest, like 1% of the world, is able to effectively hobble our politics. You can't do anything at this point, because to even move the needle a little bit would be tantamount to tyranny. Yeah. I mean, look what they did to Barack Obama, who... Um, you know, to even be as gracious as we can be would be considered center left, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he was he was a, a radical Marxist, you know, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, tyrant. And to even look at what he was doing, which was free market Republican mm -hmm. ideas. Yeah, I mean, the ACA we we know this was created by Republican think tanks. Yeah, it was championed by Mitt Romney, his eventual opponent mm -hmm. in the presidential election, but it was treated as a culturally Marxist mm -hmm. takeover. So it has effectively hobbled our politics and it has created a crisis, again, that I think I think most people, even those who are sort of wired into this, um, are in denial about mm -hmm. how yes. bad it actually is. Absolutely. That's the thing that's so frustrating is, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I, I'm not an expert in politics. I've definitely been interested in it and talked about it for quite some time basically since 2012 I mean I've been interested in it before 2012 but you know I found my voice online in 2012 and it was not because I went to college for it it's not because I spent my life in politics it just so happened that you know I wrote a blog it got a lot of attention and then it just started off this unexpected trajectory for me um, but I feel like oh, it's it's when I first started, and I don't know if this is really what I meant to say, but it just occurred to me. But like when I first started talking about politics and, and I was online, it was mainly as a feminist. It was mainly because I had, wrote, I had written this 
uh, open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut because he had attacked <laughs> he had attacked uh, Sandra Fluke for uh, basically saying that religious colleges should have an uh, an insurance plan um, that covers birth control. And she noted that a friend of hers had a cyst and all these issues that came up because of this and it was very expensive and her school didn't cover it. And so she was called a slut. So now, you know, and then he demanded to see her sex tapes and just unbelievable. So I found this voice, right? You know, my sarcasm and my snark and it was fun. And I enjoyed kind of standing up to the misogynistic bullies and then everything morphed into what I'm doing right now and talking to you. But the difference now is I, I feel very frightened that before when I was when I was going off and having my fun, um, I felt like no matter what, even if women lost, you know, not necessarily the right to have an abortion, but just, you know, they, they, they took away all these abortion clinics and they've made it much more difficult for women to have abortions. As much as I hated that and I was upset and I would rail against it, there was, in my mind, there was still this country where we had smooth transitions of power and that the elections may not have been 100% because I never believed that the uh, 2000 election was fair in any yep. way, not even the t 2004. But still, I mean, it was, it was something that everything changed with Donald Trump. And so um, it's such a different environment right now. And I'm having a, an extremely hard time. I'm having, this is the first, literally, this is the first time, even worse than Trump, even worse than when Trump was installed. My feelings about this country are starting to fall apart. I'm, and, and as I said in the show that I did earlier today, just for patrons, I'm literally looking up living in Canada. And I don't know that I'll ever do that, but it's just, it's getting to the point where I feel I don't know if the word is panicked, but I feel like I want to jump ship before this thing sinks. And so I'm not sure where you stand on this, but providing what you know right now, um, and especially with Mansion and Cinema, and you could talk about those as much as you want. I mean, I know people are talking about they're funded by the Cokes and this and that. But do you think that we're going to be able to survive 20... When I say we, I mean people who want to keep this country uh you know uh, the democracy that we've always known maybe it's imperfect and i know it's not really a full-on democracy but you know what i'm talking about so like do you think that we're going to be able to survive this in 22 and 24 well i'll go ahead and uh put a name on on what you're feeling because i know the feeling very very well and from a lot of conversations it's horror yeah is what it is and you know the definition of horror and if you've you know ever watched these horror films or like slasher flicks or whatever the basis of horror is believing that you are safe while you are incredibly endangered hmm. right you're sitting at home you're watching a movie you're eating some popcorn meanwhile the killer yeah, is right. behind the couch yeah right you should be on alert but meanwhile there is sort of a belief and a faith and and one of the things because i i felt similarly like the donald trump phenomenon uh woke me up in a way in 2016 when i was going to these rallies because it i i was watching the radicalization in real mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. and i was watching the people that i loved become radicalized and realizing that because you know i was being told by networks, media elites, pundits, that, 
oh, Donald Trump can never come to power. Yeah. Like, that's not what America is. And America will, you know, like, maybe America will chew him up and swallow him, but they'll spit him out like so much bad food, right? Mm -hmm. The system will win out. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up finding out with Donald Trump was that uh, the mythology of meritocracy, American exceptionalism, uh, a stable system, um, those were never real. Mm-hmm. They they were guiding mythologies, right? They were fairy tales, and they were very convenient fairy mm-hmm. tales. Yes. And um, you know, I did a little bit of research on this uh, for my book, American Rule, and what I found was there's a basis in this stuff that goes back to the Greeks. Like Plato would talk about this thing called the noble lie, which is any society has to convince people, oh, everybody's got control. Don't worry about it. You live your lives. And if you are, and and by the way, yes, there is sort of a caste system, but if you're talented and you work hard enough, you can rise up in the Mm -hmm. ranks, right? Which is the American dream. That's that's what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. It's this lie of an American uh, meritocracy and exceptionalism. Well, that was never real, to be to be frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a cover story for the exploitation of people, uh, for genocide, for slavery, for going into other countries, particularly those in the second and third world, some people would call them, and uh, making sure that people of color shouldn't be trusted with their own governments. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, having these wars over resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and here's the thing about it, um, and before I start answering the, the second part of your question, I'll just say it's really good that we have awoken from this. Yes, Because right. yes. Um, the, the American project was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. We know this. Uh, right now, we're watching the collapse of so many mythologies. I mean, um, nobody wants to talk about it, but our economy and the global economy is teetering on the brink every mm-hmm. single day yeah uh and 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 the problem is once you take the brakes off of it which is what happened in the 1980s it just collapses over and over and over mm-hmm. again unless you do something and we refuse to do that yeah. we've 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 unleashed it it's a train teetering on the tracks ready to fall at any moment the other part of it is that the american hegemony project it it's killing the world it's literally destroying the environment and it is unsustainable the what the what project did you just say the american hegemony project trying to control the politics and culture of the rest of the world okay oh i see okay Uh, yeah so climate change is this looming apocalypse that Mm -hmm. believe in it or don't believe in it it's coming Mm -hmm. and so these things were untenable and on top of that right now we're in a situation where we're getting ready to be surpassed by China as the world's major power. Yeah. Uh, and history tells us that as that happens, and if you listen to the news or pay any attention, there is a new Cold War coming. Mm-hmm. The, the question is whether or not it's going to be a, a Cold War or a hot war. Mm-hmm. And history tells us, and this is really, really unfortunate, and I promise that there's hope in this. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I'm about to say is, 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 is it's a rough, rough damn hang. Mm-hmm. But it's but it is no less true, and I think there is actually hope in everything that I'm talking about. Um, as the economy starts to starts to fray, as and and by the way, th- these political crises are not just in America; they're yeah. around the world. Right. Every liberal democracy at this moment has a far right white supremacist mm-hmm. element within it. 
they're all talking to each other. Mm -hmm. They're all comparing notes. They're training each other. They're mm -hmm. receiving unbelievable amounts of funding from the, the people that we've been talking about. So as it starts to fall apart, if we live in denial, we are giving those people space to operate. Yes. Right? If we live in denial of what's actually happening, those people, they know what's happening. They are well aware. That's why January 6th was such an important moment that I, I have to tell you, Kimberly, it, it breaks my heart every day to see yeah. people like talk like it wasn't a big deal I know. And, and like it wasn't actually a coup attempt. But you look at it, and it wasn't just MAGA people. It wasn't just QAnon people. There were trained military operators. Yeah. There were extremists. And they, you know, you're seeing more every day from them that they planned on killing people. Mm -hmm. They planned on overthrowing the government. These people are operating, and it's not just on this small, like, regional scale. It's a world scale. Yeah. So we first of all have to understand that liberal democracy is in actual, real, damnable trouble. Mm -hmm. But the good news here is that when you realize that you have been operating under the, the hood of, of falsehoods and mythologies, there's agency to it. Because the old American message was, hey, just just sit back. Just just enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. Buy a car, go to the mall, right. eat good food, watch TV, all that. And by the way, that's still the message we're getting to today, mm -hmm. you know. But when you realize that there is actual danger, when you realize that you have been living on this sandcastle foundation that was never real and is in danger of being swept away every single day, all of a sudden then that spell can break hmm. and you can actually start building something real and something better. And history tells us that we are entering into a period where that is possible. And hmm. it's that this is the, the issue is that we have to realize that right now is a crossroads because the other side, they know it's a crossroads. Yeah. They are well aware of this. This is not a mystery to them. Wow. Um, well, that's interesting. And, you know, I got a couple more questions about that. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. There's so much going on in the world that can make it difficult to relax and decompress. You've experienced the Sunday scaries, that feeling of dread in the pit of your stomach that comes on Sunday afternoons. Now here's a totally different Sunday scaries, vitamin boosted CBD gummies. And you don't even have to wait until Sunday night rolls around. Self-care is so important and Sunday scaries is here to help. Sunday scaries believes that everyone deserves a hand on a difficult day. So if you're looking for a way to decompress, Sunday Scaries has you covered with their CBD products. Visit sundayscaries.com and use the promo code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word, at the checkout and get 25% off your order. That's 25% off at sundayscaries.com with promo code SEXYLIBERAL. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. These products are not for use by sale or to persons under the age of 18. Okay, and we are back. Okay, so let me just ask you, now you were just saying that there is hope and there's a possibility that we can recognize what's going on. We've got this problem right now of two senators who are Cinema and, and Manchin who obviously don't want to do anything to preserve, protect democracy. And, it, you know, there's speculation that they're being, at least with Manchin, that he's got coke money, his daughter has, uh, you know, has makes money from the EpiPen and then um, I guess that's like being the, the that company that owns that or something is funded by the Cokes and I don't know what the exact story is but 
do you, you know, I mean, I'm not sure, and I'm just going to ask you about this because honestly, I don't know the answer to this, but I keep hearing like, okay, if we can't get these um, laws passed, the voting rights laws passed, then it, it appears that we're in big trouble in 2022. And then yeah. other people are kind of saying, no, there's still hope for 22, even if we can't get these laws changed. Um, I mean, even if we can't get the voting, you know, the voting bill through and all that. So what is your take on that? Like, do you do you feel that if we can't get this voting bill passed that we're totally screwed? Like what's what's going to happen if cinema and mansion do nothing? So um, I'll go ahead and I'll start with the, the background of what makes this cinema and mansion story uh, so prevalent and important in our culture, which is um, that there, there is this sort of narrative now that, oh, my God, a perfect utopia would be possible if only cinema right. and mansion would get on board, <laughs> right? If these two individuals can just wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat like, uh, like Scrooge, right, yeah. and suddenly realize the error of their ways, um, they're not confused about what they're doing. Um, they, they, they are who they are. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, this is a really important thing that's hard to swallow, particularly in uh, radically polarized times, particularly in a Trumpified America where we're taught there are good guys and there are bad guys. Um, just because a person is a Democrat doesn't mean that they agree with you. It doesn't yeah. mean that they are your best friend or that their ideology is exactly like yours. Mm -hmm. Joe Manchin has no interest whatsoever in changing anything mm -hmm. at all. Um, he is a very, very wealthy white man. Mm -hmm. And so are so many other Democrats. I, I guarantee you that if Manchin and Cinema got on board, there are other Democrats who would not want to do away with the filibuster. Yeah. It just so happens that they are more comfortable taking mm -hmm. the flag for that because it helps them politically. Mm -hmm. They, they in, in Arizona and in West Virginia, in what they believe is their voting base, they actually think it makes them more popular mm -hmm. if they are out front of this issue. So what I would say is uh, a couple of things is we kind of need to reframe our consideration of politics from top down to bottom up. Mm -hmm. We used to believe and, and have for a while, and a lot of people still believe it, that we're still, it's, it's almost like going back to the Greeks. It's almost like looking up in the sky and waiting on the Titans to fight it out. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like the gods will fight amongst themselves mm -hmm. and there'll be a winner and they'll determine our reality. Well, that's not actually how politics works. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a representative government. And if you find yourself in a position where, I'm sorry, but voting for the Republican Party is untenable. You mm -hmm. cannot do it right now. This is a danger to society and civilization. That is as clear as it gets. And then people say, well, I got to vote for Democrats. Well, that's fine. Find better Democrats. Right. Find people within the Democratic Party. And here's part of the problem is that the Democratic Party, particularly going back to that economic consensus you and I were talking about, um, they decided in the 1980s, early 1990s, that they couldn't compete with Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. They couldn't. They would never win another election if they ever went against Ronald Reagan and, and his policies. So what did they do? People like Bill Clinton and the Democratic Leadership Council, people like Al Fromm, they came out and said, we're not worried about labor unions. We're not worried about people of color. We're not worried about gay people anymore. Uh, we're not worried about the Jewish voters. We are going to find corporations who will help us. 
we're going to find the yeah. wealthy who are going to help us. And what you end up finding with the Democratic Party now is you have people like your cinemas and your mansion who are beholden to the wealthiest elite yeah. in this country, who give to everybody. Donald Trump gave that game up back in 2016, yeah. if you remember. He said, I give to everybody. Right. And that's what they all do. So what we have to do, and, and I'll get to 2022 and 24 in a second, what we have to do is realize that politics is not something to watch on TV. It's not something to wait for and hope for. It's not this passion play where we have a bunch of messiahs that we're waiting on to mm -hmm. do things for us. It's we us. have to start building the infrastructure that we want yeah. because the political class are the wealthy class. Mm -hmm. You have to be exorbitantly wealthy to run for office now. And they're not going to necessarily help you. A lot of them are very interested in keeping um, the status quo. That's mm -hmm. also the same in the media. We yeah. know this. Yeah. You have to have a ton of money to own a cable network or a national newspaper. Yeah. You don't want to overthrow the economic status quo. You want the economic status quo to be solidified, and you kind of want people like Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and Holly to stop saying a bunch of dumb shit. Yeah. That's, that's what you're interested in, right? So we have to start building progressive uh, citizen-based movements, which throughout history, there are these moments where it looks like people have no power, that the, the future is inevitable, and then eventually movements start coming up from the groundworks, and they start changing things. Hmm. And it becomes infectious and mm -hmm. addictive. You mm -hmm. start realizing, oh, that's right. Like, I can actually change things. I can yeah. actually make a better world. Now, the problem with 22 and 24, and I'll just go ahead and for people who maybe are newer to politics, um, the Democrats are incredibly good at losing elections. Um, they're very good at particularly getting power and then losing in midterms yeah. and then eventually losing. Um, you know, you have to work to sort of take care of some of this stuff without worrying about your mansions and your cinemas. Mm -hmm. um, we, I mean, I would say right now one of the most powerful, persuasive, and influential human beings does not have a political office, hmm. and that's Stacey Abrams. Yes. And yeah, I will you, agree with you know, that, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say that um, – just before we spoke, I there was something that came up on my cons uh, my computer screen with Stacy, and it was funny because I kind of felt more calm <laughs> as soon as I saw her, and uh, so I guess then this would lead me to what is it that we can do? Uh, out, is it just the basic grassroots organizing, knocking on doors? Well, it, I mean, that's part of it. Um, there, there are things we can do within the political machinery, which definitely has to do with volunteering, mm -hmm. uh, writing postcards, going door to door, um, you know, going into these offices and answering phones. That's one part. That's mm -hmm. a support mm -hmm. part, right? The other part is a more... Um, how should I put it? It's a more kinetic, personal part. So a lot of what you're talking about in terms of the horror... Of, of how this feels and mm -hmm. the powerlessness of how it feels. Um, you and I and everybody listening to this have been gaslit mm -hmm. for years now. Mm -hmm. We, you know, it's everything from Donald Trump, uh, you know, being this disastrous president and lying about everything from what medication he's taking to what the coronavirus is um, to us being told, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And having, you know, 
even the opposition parties tell us everything's fine. Mm -hmm. um, what we have to do is we have to move beyond things like the internet. The internet's a useful tool, but we also need to talk to the people in our lives. Mm -hmm. We need to establish um, uh, um, we need to establish objective shared realities mm -hmm. because so many times when we get together, we talk to you know the people that we know. Both of us are afraid, and we're yes. both afraid to admit what's going on because you're having drinks. You're having brunch for the first time in a year and a half, mm -hmm. right? We have to talk about what's actually happening. We have to share information, and we have to build solidarity and trust. We have to get to know other people and start repairing this intentionally destroyed society. We have been alienated from each other on purpose. That is, that is one of the main yeah. weapons of exploitation, is to make you feel like, um, you know, my co-host on the, the Muckrake podcast uh, had a great point not so long ago. He was talking about the movie Network. And in it, you have like this mad prophet of the airwaves. And he goes, eventually you, you're in your home and you're like, just leave me alone in my house. You can have everything else. Just leave me alone <laughs> in my house. Just give me a little bit of time to watch TV and leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Well, exploitation depends on you feeling that way yeah it wants you to lock yourself away and not participate out in the public square and what you said earlier is really important because it is the goal there are places such as russia where people have supposed rights of yeah. assembly and you know of expression or in voting in elections but what these despots want and by despots i mean not only the republican party but i also mean corporations and the wealthy they want you to quote unquote have rights but they want you scared as hell to use them hmm. they want to hollow out the rights until you go and you're like fine just don't hurt me and my family right. i will go vote right for whoever That's it. you put up it's fine just and, and then eventually what ends up happening is there is a, a apathy that takes over. And if you study things like the Soviet Union, you realize there was a totality of control yes. of reality mm -hmm. to where like people, people got to the point where they're like, okay, fine. Two plus two is five. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's, that's fine. I don't want to go to the gulag. I don't want yes. to be uh, thrown in Siberia. I don't want my entire family to be murdered and thrown into forced labor. Fine. Two plus two equals five. I'll live there. Mm -hmm. And eventually you reach a point where you can't imagine anything else. Yes. And that's what they want. It's it's a faux liberal democracy. It's an illiberal democracy. Mm -hmm. They want us to get to a point where we lose all faith in all of this. And so why even pay attention anymore? Mm -hmm. Why even care anymore? Just leave me alone in my own house. I'll buy the products you want me to buy. Mm -hmm. I'll watch the TV shows. That's totally fine. That is, and, and, and believe me, if you read what these people talk about, Kimberly, they're talking about they're talking about throwing us into like virtual realities so we don't even have to interact with each other. Right. Like when you look at these like conferences and stuff, they're like, well, there's no way the human beings can live with each other anymore. If we can get past politics, it'll be fine. And so they see liberal democracy, again, going back to the difference between liberals and conservatives, they want to get beyond liberal democracy. They want to get back to a neo-feudal, mm -hmm. illiberal democracy, which is basically a point where you maybe you have rights, but you you simply are not going to use them. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So wait, I just want to go back to twenty twenty two and yep. twenty four. Uh, are we going to be able to overcome uh, the fact that if we don't get these voting bills passed, if we don't protect that, is turnout going to be able? Like, if we've let's just say. 
we have a massive turnout, which I'm I'm hopeful for because I know that we did have a general election turnout in 2018, but that was because Trump was a great motivator. Usually, like for instance, in 2010 and 2014, liberals just thought, oh, well, Barack Obama's president, and so I don't have yep. to do anything. And sometimes when I say that on Twitter, people attack me for like attacking the Democrats. It's like, oh my God, they didn't fucking vote. And yep. you know, they, and I know for sure that in 2014, it was an 80 year low. Like it, yep. it, it, it just boggles the mind. So anyway, um, let's just say, you know, maybe we do have more motivating, uh, more motivated voters because the GOP is carrying on Trumpism. So, you know, there is the historical thing where, the the party that's in power in the White House usually or the, the 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 White House is countered. So if you if you basically supposedly we have a Democratic majority right now, so that we would lose that historically speaking, but maybe we won't because the Republicans are acting so crazy and Democrats are still motivated. So basically, how motivated the Democrats have to be in order to overcome the fact that it's so heavily ger- gerrymandered. And then, and in a minute, I'm going to ask you about this fraud thing. But I mean, yep. uh, you know, just this alone, without these bills, are would a huge turnout give us uh, more more Democrats in Congress? Well, I'll start. I'll start with the hope part of the answer, and then I'll devolve into okay. <laughs> uh, you know hair pulling nihilism. Right. Um, I'll, I'll I'll start with this. Going back to the Stacey Abrams thing, I'll I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you what illiberal. Uh, democratic pushing uh right-wing white supremacists are really good at which is disenfranchising people of color Mm -hmm. but but let me tell you something else do you know who's even better at something than that which is people of color inciting disenfranchising efforts they've been doing it from the beginning Mm -hmm. like there there was a moment which you look back in history it's really kind of amazing after the civil war um, you know, the, these freed slaves, these African-Americans, uh, almost immediately from the time that they were freed from human bondage, they showed an amazing ability to coordinate. Hmm. And uh, what, what ends up happening before Reconstruction is scuttled by things like the Ku Klux Klan and, uh, you know, the, the Southern white supremacy is that they won tons of elections. Hmm. They organized so fast, and they took over the organs of power in the in the South so quickly, and they did it because they 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 were just really really talented at understanding suppression mm-hmm. and oppression. Yeah. Um, and you know, Stacey Abrams is unbelievable yeah. at this. And 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 you know, and, and you know, she's the the head figure who gets all of the attention, but there is a major network of people and people of color who work against this shit mm-hmm. and they fight it so well and they coordinate so well uh, a, a real quick example of that of course was uh the election of john Ossoff and raphael warnock yes uh which was almost unheard of mm-hmm. and if you actually look right now at what's happening and this is one of the reasons the republican party is behaving the way that it is is because their strongholds are falling apart hmm. arizona of course goes blue yeah. texas Texas could have gone blue, and if it wasn't for disenfranchisement efforts there, they admitted they admitted right, it themselves. Yeah. And Texas will go blue eventually. Georgia, where I live, went blue. These strongholds are starting to fall apart because the organizing is so much better than the suppression. So I do have hope hmm. there. Okay. But I will also say, and this is the hair pulling nihilistic <laughs> part of it, 
there is a problem with the messaging mm-hmm. and reality selling in this country, which is Joe Biden was elected in part. And if you watched uh, his inaugural ceremonies, if you've listened to the messaging and the propaganda coming out of the administration and particularly uh, Democratic sources and also Democratic voters, people are really wanting to believe that the defeat of Trump put everything to bed. Exactly. Yeah. And that all we needed to do was to get past Donald Trump. He mm-hmm. was an aberration. Right. And, and, and here's the thing. I say this all the time. I try and get this into every interview. Trump was a symptom. He yes. was not the disease. Right. He he was made inevitable by tons of white supremacy mm-hmm. and exploitation in American culture mm-hmm. and a growing fascistic movement. It's only gotten worse mm-hmm. is what's happened. Uh, people are tired of politics. People are tired of the pandemic. People are really interested. You keep hearing all this stuff about a resurgent America and people wanting to go out and buy a ton of things and party and do whatever. Uh, I know we're tired. I know that we are traumatized. I know that we're looking for a release. But we need to understand that 22 and 24 are going to be dogfights. And Republicans are set up to uh, disprove any election that they don't Mm -hmm. that they don't win. Uh, They are making it easier to overturn uh, the Democratic will of the people. Yes. And and that sets up. Um, what I, again is a crossroads like I have to I, you know I've been saying this for a while I was saying it in 2016 I said I don't think there's any way that we get out of this crisis without blood being spilled mm-hmm. well a hell of a lot of blood's already been spilled yes it has and there's more to come mm-hmm. and I hate to say that but if you do want a better future you have to understand that again that there are people out there who are willing to spill a whole hell of a lot of blood and if you let them get their way, there's no coming back from this. Right. Exactly. That, that, that's a dead end string. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I, I, I've seen some people on Twitter say, you know, oh, well, if a Republican wins in 2024, we'll just have to do it. It's like, then it's over. It, yep. You know, because, no, there, there is no Trump went away and everything's fixed. And, you know, I mean, I did even see some never Trump Republicans talking I think it was just after Biden had been elected and not yet inaugurated, but they were kind of like, you know, the Republican Party will say, uh, you know, go along with things for a while, but then it'll be like Trump who? And I, I wasn't sure exactly what to think. I, I didn't have an absolute idea either way. I did realize Trump was a symptom. I did realize that um, just because he was just because he lost didn't mean all our problems were solved. But I do think that, um, I don't know. I mean, as an American and and just as a person on earth, you know, because it's not just America, as you mentioned, uh, I I feel so threatened. And I I do, I totally see the hope that you're talking about. And I um, I see that there are ways that we can find our way to fixing this. But then I also feel... I don't know. Like today is very hard for me. I'm, I, I, if you yep. haven't noticed, it's hard for me to put my thoughts together. In fact, this day, like I'm, all, I'm on the verge of tears yeah. all day. And I feel like I felt this way when Ruth, Gator, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and Mitt Romney said, go ahead with yep. the uh, Amy Barrett thing. I completely lost my mind. And uh, that, that day I had interviewed Fred Gutenberg 
and I, I, I feel terrible because I feel like my interview with him wasn't very good just because I was so completely freaked out. And then after, you know, I said goodbye to him, I, I lost it on the show and I just completely bawled. I mean, I was, I just, I had a, not a hysterical fit, but I was just crying so hard. And I feel like that's what's happening now. I mean, I feel like I don't know how to hold it together. Like I'm, yeah. st- I'm breaking up right now and I don't want to cause I fucking hate crying on my show, but, um, <laughs> and I don't usually, but it's just, it's just, I, I'm, I am, I'm feeling hopeless and helpless. And I, and, and then the other thing, the last thing I kind of want to ask you about is these audits, whatever, they're not audits. You know, I think, I guess Holder yeah. called it fraud at last night, which I missed because I can't even fucking watch cable news anymore. I can't watch anything. Last night, my boyfriend, you know, was in his office. He comes out, it's around 10 o'clock. Lawrence O'Donnell is on. I have the TV on, but I'm like on my computer just looking at stupid shit that is meaningless <laughs> and because I cannot deal. And then I see Mansion and he's on the screen. And like right now, I can't fucking deal with Mansion. He's driving me nuts. Just even looking at him, it, it yeah. causes me all kinds of anxiety. And so, um, you know, and, uh, my boyfriend is a political guy. He, he, I don't know if you know, but it's Bob Seska. He has his own podcast. He talks about politics. And so, um, you know, I felt bad because I, I felt like, okay, he needs to listen to this. The, you know, it, because I'm having a hard time doesn't mean that he shouldn't be listening. Granted, he's got his own TV and all that stuff that he can, you know, but it was in the living room. And I just felt like I cannot deal because he wanted to turn the sound up when Manchin was talking. And I'm like, oh my God. And I quickly put my headphones on and I just like, I listened to Rain because I, you know, yeah. I had Rain on YouTube and I just turned it all the way up and until the segment was over. So, what do you think is going to happen as far as these these uh, fake audits? Because, you know, Chris, I, oh, I wish I still had it. Do I have it? Um, yes, I do. You quote tweeted this, but Chris Hayes said, these people are not going to stop until they're successful or in prison. And so um, going to this, this whole audit thing, obviously it's happening in Arizona. They have, they know what they're doing. They know they're data mining or they're, and you know, they're taking whatever information they feel is important and necessary. But the main thing that they're doing is discrediting our elections. They are, you know, making people feel they can't trust. And then they're going to use these fake audit audits to say that every single election is phony. And so where do you see this going? Well, I I just want to say first and foremost, that there is, absolutely nothing wrong about feeling what you're feeling (laughs) because one of the things that you start to understand when you study totalitarianism fascism neo-fascism uh what's happening in this country right now is you start to realize that it is intentional abuse Mm -hmm. yeah it is. You are. You are being abused by and, – and, and really, when you break it down, you spend a lot of time with it, you start to realize that, like, the root of fascism and totalitarianism is um, – it's mental unwellness. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a real personal issue at the heart of it. And in America, we have a lot of people – who are very, very unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a chance to talk to Mary Trump, who, uh, of course, Love is the, uh, Donald Trump's niece, but mm-hmm. also a, a therapist. And we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, that there is an epidemic of, of mental unwellness mm-hmm. at the heart of all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly if you study fascism, it's about a bunch of insecure men reacting to personal and societal and political crisis by then overcompensating and joining a larger movement where they deny feelings or kindness or empathy Mm -hmm. and then abuse and hurt people um you are under attack and by you i mean you and everybody who is listening to this this Mm -hmm. is an intentional thing 
And you don't have to... It's not a grand and Barrett situation, yeah. you know, because you actually are being abused. You actually are going through trauma. And one of the things to fighting fascism and totalitarianism is to understand that your feelings actually are viable mm -hmm. and real. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, not just on the right, but also in the media and even in landscapes like social media, where... Um, detached pessimistic mm -hmm. irony is sort of the currency yeah you if you show too much emotion well then you're going to get made fun of and ostracized right. and, and whatever so it's actually like a double sort of a bind there um the real the real solution there is to understand that your feelings are valid while building again uh objective reality relationships with people where you can support each other mm -hmm. and you can lean on each other yeah and you can start to actually communicate about this stuff and understand that you are under assault. But the moment that we break, and again, that we just scream, leave me alone in my own home, is yeah. when the jig is up. Right. And yeah. when it comes to this audit stuff, it really is a, a combination of things. I mean, when you actually start to drill down and find who's doing it, um, who's doing it is a bunch of like, Alex Jones, QAnon mm -hmm. nuts. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who are actually carrying this stuff out, but this is important so that everybody understands it. The way that the right works is that people like Alex Jones or these QAnon people, they start things. Mm -hmm. And then eventually those things are found to be useful. Mm -hmm. And then the, 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 you know, the traditional right, whether it's Fox News or the Republican Party, goes ahead and adopts them. And, you know, they've tested them. They've taken it. Trump is the exact same way. Yeah. Uh, they they loved having Trump out there showing what he could do and what he could get away with. Mm -hmm. You know, he tested the defenses. He showed where the weaknesses were, and they just sort of flooded through. With these audits, if we continue to act like any of this is normal, mm -hmm. and I know parts of it are what some people would refer to as being humorous. Like, they're looking for bamboo fibers. Right. Because they think China did it. You know, it's not just jingoistic and racist, but right. it's, it's just stupid. It is stupid. It's stupid. And it's laughable. Just like the QAnon stuff is laughable, but that doesn't mean that it isn't useful. Right, and dangerous, and, yeah. And dangerous, because, you know, QAnon and, and conspiracy theories work this way. Yes, they are absurd on their face, but they give people a useful ideology that allows them to use preemptive violence and the destruction <laughs> yeah. of democratic institutions. And with this, these audits, they are not real. They are not actual good faith attempts to get to the bottom of what happened in the election. It's probing uh, insecurities. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to tell you, everybody engaged in these audits, they're not looking for fraud. They're figuring out ways to carry out fraud. Right, yes. They're like, and, and that's an important thing to, to look at here is they're gaining access to all of these systems. And the right consistently projects their own behaviors mm -hmm. onto other people. Um, have you ever heard of William Cooper? Have you no. ever come across this name? No. William Cooper was like the proto Alex Jones. And he was one of those guys who uh, became very, very popular talking about how the United States government was working with aliens. Right. And the Illuminati was in control of the world. And William Cooper wrote in his book, Behold a Pale Horse, something that um, when I read it the first time, it didn't really connect. But then uh, a couple of years ago, I read it and suddenly it became sort of like a Rosetta Stone. Hmm. And he said, 
I know there are conspiracies because if I was in power, I would form conspiracies. And so you look at the right, and if you actually listen to what they say and look at what they do, they're talking about election fraud because they're planning election yes. fraud. They are looking at oh these systems for possibilities of corrupting them while also going ahead and having the side effect of di discrediting them, right? Yeah. So from now on, there's no reason whatsoever for a Republican to ever acknowledge defeat, ever. Mm -hmm. There's no political blowback. There's no downside yeah. to it. So you are seeing a full frontal assault on democratic institutions. That's what this whole thing is about. It's like it kind of reminds me of Trump um... – in 2016, when he was screaming about how if the Democrats won, um, if Hillary Clinton won, that it was rigged, and he just kept using rigged over and over and over, and, and then and then it just became, that's all they ever say is that it's rigged. Right, right, and wow. it's creating the possibility, and and it gives people an alternate reality to live within. And again, if we go ahead and take this, you know, to uh, its its logical conclusion. If the elections are rigged, if there are a bunch of criminals who control all levers of power, the only thing to do, Kimberly, is to then attack them. Mm -hmm. We have to take them down. Mm -hmm. This is why we were talking about coups. This is why right. QAnon is obsessed with the military intervening and throwing people into prison or killing them. They are preparing for anti-democratic action yeah. and the right is prepared to do this and history shows us that this is the cycle that always repeats itself fun <laughs> well and, and real fast again this is the important thing it's you know go back into the 1920s and 1930s as as hitler's consolidating power mm -hmm. everyone's like ah he's a crank he'll yep. figure it out it'll it'll get figured out don't worry about it and what they did was they lived in denial and they lived in denial because Germany was using the same white supremacy and, and capitalistic exploitation that's happening in America. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to learn from that. Yes. We have to be aware of what's going on. And instead of waiting for, you know, uh, uh, Hitler to invade another country or for Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. we have to understand and see what's coming. Yeah. And then, yes, it is horrifying going back to that idea we mm -hmm. felt safe but we realized we shouldn't feel safe mm -hmm. but the only way that we can we can cut it off at the knees is to understand what is possible now okay then you just have to run things tell everyone oh gosh <laughs> you know i thought about running for office but like i thought about running for congress this was uh god was that 2017 2018 probably 2018 mm -hmm. And I started to dip my toe into it, and the entire machinery was just so odious. Yeah. I, and, you know, it was almost immediate. And I was like, I'm not going to do this mm -hmm. if I, you know, can't do what I want to do. And mm -hmm. it was, it was within a couple of days that the idea was even flirted with. It was like every lobbyist known to man was getting a hold of me. Wow. And I suddenly realized, I was like, oh, this, this system is not set up no. for people to come in and actually oppose it. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And what's really sad is when you have these like rogue characters, say on the Democratic side, um, who know how to talk, to, especially on Twitter, 
um, they say all the right things, but I'm not sure if you know, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm going to let you go, but also because I've talked about it on the show a million times, uh, there was a guy, Rob Anderson, who was running in Louisiana, and he had all this Twitter fame and everything, and then it turns out he was just basically using his platform to send uh, dick pics to young interns. And, um, we, uh, you know, he, everyone loved him. He had... Kristen Johnston was fundraising for him and so did Mark Hamill and you know I had him on my show a a number of times and you know I I think that it's extremely important that we don't just follow blindly people who say everything we want to hear we have to take a look at their uh, pasts and their records and 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 understand that it's very easy, especially in this world I mean I mean look there's talk that's that Kristen Cinema or Kirsten Cinema um is, is like a Republican, and I, I don't necessarily think she's a Republican. I think she was in the Green Party. I heard she was in the Green Party yeah. before she came in. The, so I don't necessarily think she's like a, a Republican pretending to be a Democrat and infiltrating, but I but she might as well be. And, and you're right, the Democratic Party has, you know, because it's such a big tent, there's they always make that joke about herding cats. You know, it's like getting Democrats to fall in line is like herding cats. But I don't know. That I, I hope that we can figure this out because, like I said, I, I, I'm not doing very well mentally. I'm kind of like falling apart. And I feel like it's it's just to get a, a cohesive thought out is difficult for, for me right now because I just want to kind of cry. You know, I think well, what I'm going to do is understandable. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, <laughs> truly is. And again, it's just to go ahead and put the finer point on that. Like what you were saying is exactly right, which is there is sort of a. Um, there is a way of talking about issues and saying the right things that sort of becomes sort of the the the, the catchphrase or the secret password, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You talk about these things the right way, and then of course you get into the halls of power and you don't operate. Yeah. And part of the issue here goes back to the two party system and Trumpism, mm-hmm. and and this is the problem is that. Politics has been turned into a zero-sum mm-hmm. game where, you know, so-called tribalism wins out. And you're like, yes, I'm on the blue team. I'm a Democrat. Right. And if anybody's a Democrat, then they have my support. And you, right. you saw this, um, I, and, and people like to forget about it now, but, like, one of the, the more glaring examples of how this works and the dangers of it is there was, like, a, a week and a half. I don't know if you remember this. During uh, the... Uh, presidential primaries where Michael Bloomberg started to throw his name in the race mm-hmm. and he became the cause. Du yes, jour. he did. Everyone was like, everyone was like Michael, because they're like, Oh, Michael Bloomberg gets underneath Trump's skin. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'll be able to do this. And everyone said, well, he's not only a former Republican, <laughs> but he has a shady past. There are really problematic problems. Yeah. With him. He's into total exploitation of people. And it was like, I know, I know, I know, but we want to win. Exactly. And, and that is the disease of Trumpism. It is. And what you're talking about with these candidates, and this goes back to what I was talking about and the ways to actually feel powerful about this, is that we need a politics of solidarity. Mm-hmm. We need a politics of this person is going, uh, going to Washington to represent me, and I know that they're going to have my interest and their interest and the community's interest at heart because I know them. Yeah, I have faith right. in them. Yeah. I've had the ability to actually talk to them about things, but instead, what we're doing and the way that politics has been corrupted, we are now 
sending these people who are from a wealth class that we would never be in the same room as them. We would never just yeah. hang out with Joe Manchin. Right. We would never have a one-on-one conversation with Joe Manchin. He's a multimillionaire. Yeah. Right? Why would he, as a multimillionaire, go to the Senate and represent <laughs> my interest as somebody who um, – I have to think about how many figures, five figures, salary, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's not the same. Right. And, and we have to stop pretending that just because somebody calls them, a, calls themselves a Democrat or because they don't talk about politics like Trump in these expressively cruel and ignorant ways, it does not mean that they're on my side. Right. In fact, the right. democratic party at times has a really shallow symbolic language, which is, you know, you can you can never actually try and upset the status quo, but as long as you say the right thing when the camera is on or you use the right language, oh, don't worry, they're good, right? Yeah. And, and just to bring this full circle, it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, which is corporations understanding how to use progressive yeah. language. Yeah. You have a lot of people who understand that economically, politically, and socially, they have to say the right things. Hmm. And then when the cameras are off, they will exploit people and they'll hurt people and they're not going to try and change anything. Yeah. So we have to move beyond that. We have to find real actual politics before this thing gets too out of hand. Wow. Well, I, you know, the hopeful message I have is that there is still time. You know, I don't want to run out of time, but there, you know, we did run out of time with Donald Trump because we made certain assumptions like you were saying, oh, he's never going to win. And then he did. He won the nomination and then he stole whatever you want to call it cheated his way to the top but i think that you know there was a period of time in 2015 2016 where it could have gone in the other direction and it didn't and so i'm hoping that maybe maybe we've learned from that and because it was so recent and that we can change this tra trajectory and make sure i mean i'm not saying the trajectory right now is going to an absolute republican takeover but um, it's it's not very promising. So I, I, I you know, and I, I, I noted on Twitter, I said this too in my uh, patrons only show, but it, I, I did a tweet the other day that Twitter is angrier. And now Twitter has always been a place for people to be mean to each other and hurl insults and all of that. But I, but what I've been seeing lately is a lot more people who like you're talking about we've been gaslit we've been abused we feel like we're watching in horror and some of us do realize that the danger is right there in front of us others do not and but I'm seeing that play out and it, it like totally freaks me out because I, I feel like you know I always like to use the example of Jude Law in the movie Contagion I don't know if you saw that yep. movie, but, yep. you know, he was yep. always like telling everybody, oh, my God, you know, it's like he, he was the one voice trying to warn everybody about something. And it's not that I feel that I'm that one voice, but I, but I feel like I'm watching a panicked nation and, you know, I'm feeling it and I'm watching it and I'm seeing it play out in real time where I where all so many people like we thought by now in the you know in where we are time wise with Biden winning and all that not that everything would be back to normal but just that okay we get some relief and it seems that there's almost no relief we might get a few wins here and there but we're still getting a lot of of hits from from white supremacy fascism autocracy all of it so it's just it's it's very difficult but i mean i think there is time at this point in the game to um, make sure that fascism doesn't take over but we've we've all got to do our part and that's exactly right and, and 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 i think the important thing is 
to remember that there are these moments where like the the status quo can change in massive ways yeah right like like there are throughout history there are these moments these crossroads where things can change in a big Mm -hmm. giant hurry they're malleable moments Mm -hmm. um you don't have to tell the right that we're in a malleable moment you don't have to tell white terrorists that this is a malleable yeah they know it right they know it the left needs to get with it yeah. and understand that this is a malleable moment. And I keep saying it's a three-step process. You have to get educated, you have to get angry, and you have to get organized. And we have to do it in a hurry. We have a lot of time to make up for. Mm-hmm. We have we have a lot of time that we have to make up for, and we have to make up for in a hurry. Mm-hmm. But that does not mean that we can't do it. Right. It just means that the the fire and the desire to do it has to be there. Yes, we got to get our shit together. <laughs> we got to get our shit together. Well, every time I talk to you, I just want to give you a big warm hug because I love having you as a guest and you're so smart. And uh, I can't always say, I mean, you do make me feel better a little bit. But I, what I what I enjoy is that you are truthful and you don't hold back. And I think it's very important that we don't sugarcoat things and try to pretend, you know, I did a tweet not too long ago because I, th- I can look at regular life and see where so many people like to just sweep under the rug what they don't want to have to deal with. And I think we do this collectively as humans. And I just wish that we would, instead of avoiding the truth, face the truth, get, you know, cry, get angry, like you said, have all our emotions. And I think it's people want to avoid those upsetting emotions. And so they choose not to look at it. But it's like we need to look at it and then we need to you know and that's what i like about you you say look at it here it is it's ugly and it's scary but there's some hope so i i just want to say thank you for that and of course thank you for being on the show and before i let you go tell everybody where they can find you yeah sure uh so i'm over on twitter unfortunately at Jay <laughs> Sexton. Uh, i co-host the muckrake podcast which comes out on tuesdays we have an extra extra show for patrons if you want to support the work, over to patreon.com slash podcast. And I have a sub-stack called Dispatches for a Collapsing State, and that is jaredyatesexton.substack.com. I had to get the dot .com. <laughs> awesome. Say your Twitter handle again, because I laughed really hard when you were saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's at jysexton. Awesome. And then, of course, you can find me at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E. And you can find all my books on Amazon. If you like them, please review them. If you like this show, please review it. Same with everything Jared does. Uh, Thank you so much again, Jared. I love talking to you. Thanks. You're the best. Take care. Bye-bye.